Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Deal with 
All right, beautiful people. I want to thank you for joining me here on Prison Focus Radio. I am your host, Nube Brown, and we are going to continue our conversation or my conversation with Joka Hashima Jinsai on the the recently published uh, book or booklet, Indictment of the State and its Prison Industrial Slave Complex, which is a concept by Abdul Olugbala Shakur. Joka Hashima Jinsai is uh, currently enslaved at Kern Valley State Prison along with his celly Abdul Olugbala Shakur. They both have been in prison uh, for many, many decades and uh, were part of the um, the historic California hunger strikes, which ended in definite solitary confinement of the kind that was meant to break them up in Pelican Bay State uh, Prison, known as The Shoe, and also in Corcoran State Prison. So we are going to continue that conversation through the lens, of course, uh, now that we are in our uh, first days of Black August. And uh, both Abdul and Hashima are part of the creation of the Black August Organizing Committee um, and Black August Memorial, Black August Resistance. I pressed record just as Hashima started talking about Black August. Here we go. That's and that's really beautiful, and I, uh, I I hope that that's what people would want when they did, when they choose or have been invited to come into these circles, right? That it's not an event; that it is an opportunity to practice a new way of thinking, behaving, moving through the world. And this, in this, uh, we hope is this quest, this movement towards our liberation. Just like real basic level. Everything you say and everything you do has two effects in this world. You change yourself, you change other people, and you change conditions. Now, stasis don't exist nowhere in the universe. <laughs> Some will be born or it's time. It's either progressing or it's regressing. 
So that means what you say, what you do. Everything based purpose oriented. I mean, you should, if you speak words out your mouth, they should have a purpose behind it. You want to desire a result and do it in a strategic manner in which to affect that result. You also got to understand this force is in opposition. What you said out your mouth, what you do with your hands. Right. These forces in opposition are designed specifically for you not to accomplish your ultimate not to accomplish that objective. You're talking about something like revolutionary transformation of a society or the ideological and political transformation of the people. You're talking about an entire culture that is diametrically opposed to you. Mm. There's an entire society that's in opposition to you. Yeah. Because what you're talking about doing is changing that society for the betterment of the people. And that's not why that society was structured. That's not how that society was structured. That society was, is structured to aid a small clique of individuals, a small class of individuals. Understand something, 99% of the wealth in this society is owned by 1% of the people. The other 99% of us live off what's left. Crumbs on their table. From our ideological and political perspective, that's wrong. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. We find the change that from our unique cultural perspective to the African perspective. That means our people in our culture, that's what we're trying to actually preserve and advance through the lens of revolution. When we speak of revolution, a lot of people think automatically the armed struggle. That's a small aspect of revolution. We talk about social change. Changing how you talk, changing how you think, changing how you eat, changing how you live, changing how you work, changing how you relate to one another. Change. That's revolution. First and foremost, the most rudimentary basic revolution is internal revolution. This is a revolution for the people's minds. The George defined revolution. When I say George, my George, George Jackson, he defined revolution. He defined it as a, a war for the minds of the masses. Literally, a war to liberate your mind. We live in a society that's orientated and documented people what to think, not how to think. We do the direct opposite. We're going to teach you how to think. <laughs> Here I express to Hashima how young George Jackson and his brother Jonathan Jackson were when all of this was being created and how we don't talk about it enough and how extraordinary it is. And he had a wonderful way of um, expressing uh, his response to this. And I also mentioned about what I was calling a lost generation during the war on drugs, which was really a war on people. And again, um, his response and how he viewed it um, is, is just very powerful. So listen in. Consciousness is directly proportional to oppression. We spoke about how in the Georgia's times, youth had a particular socio-political lens, and therefore they had a, a, form, a particular form of socio-political expression, which was, um, if I may paraphrase you, more conscious and more politically astute and active than it was in, in prior generations. And now you see the slow, a slow but sure emergence and resurgence of that. Well, look at look at the, the historical materialist lens. And George and Jonathan were products of 67. George's ideological development was a product of the orientation of W.L. Noah. 
Okay, you too were that young man in your 20s, right? When they captured you and all of you who now, who created Black August, right? Um, So can you talk about it from that standpoint? All of you new Africans who struggled in these California prisons, who are now um, political prisoners, who were subjected to the torture of decades of solitary confinement, you are when you talk about George Jackson. You are talking about all of you. Exactly. Yeah, some comrades been saying sixteen. Yeah, yeah. See, this is uh, your prime example. One, one, one. Credit George Jackson University and, and my brother Abdul Abbas. We've been locked up since sixteen years old. And what was different between what you talk about us as elders and perhaps some of uh, our younger comrades, our young comrades in the temporary movement is, again, historical uh, uh, background in which we were born and grew up. We grew up literally in the movement. Right. Father was back. My, 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 my uncle boy, he, 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 was, he was revolutionary in expression. He, he was part of the military and, and he ended up, you know, killing one of his uh, uh, commanding officers he was a racist and we got along with him and but he didn't never he never forgot that time that he was in prison and politicized um, the entire era in which we were developed was one in which struggle was it was a lifestyle right. and it's a lifestyle that's never changed now 
and, and speaking of myself, like so many of our uh, uh, young brothers and sisters, I fell into sidewalk escapism. I moved from the movement and, and fell back into sidewalk escapism and, 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 and petty hustling and ultimately landed me in penitentiary. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Process. The process of being subjected to the judicial system and my own historical ideological political development having been uh, uh, part of the new African movement teenager. Um, it merely solidified and crystallized the survival activity that I was engaged in was an irrational response to oppression. It was irrational. And it was, it was holding us standing. The experience of being subjected to the judicial machinery of the United States of America only crystallized two things in my mind. One, point by point and simple, there's no other way I can characterize it in human language where people really, really grasp what I'm saying. Two, wholly unjust. So, from this perspective, one, we have to understand that your judicial system is a manifestation of its broader system. Two, its historical ideology, how it was developed. Understand something. This is a product of the extermination of millions of Native the enslavement of millions of Africans, the attempted genocide of millions of Africans through a process of shadow slavery. Absolutely. This moved into a new form of slavery. That process has never stopped. No, and genocide. I'm sorry, it's still genocide, the, just because it's the, slow. Exactly. <laughs> the genocidal dynamic of predatory capitalism has never stopped. It has only continued to evolve over the course of every single historic era and epoch in this nation's existence, right. Right. from its founding to, to, to 2022. Ain't nothing changed. The only thing that changes is processes. Right. Understanding that, only again, there is a correlation. How we resist has only changed depending on the material conditions on the ground and the historical epoch currently exists. Mistakes was made. Mistakes was made in both how the revolution was waged in the 60s and 70s, primarily because we were not as, uh, ain't, no other way, ain't no other way to say this, organizationally astute on how to combat counterintelligence. We were not as organizationally astute on how to implement proper security measures. It prevent infiltration, native property. We just didn't understand. You had some of us functioning on the premises, it was going to be a 90 day revolution. Right. That's just not reality. Right. This, this this beast didn't come into existence over in, in 90 days. It ain't gonna be over through in 90 days. Get that out your head. That's the pipe dream. Fire the sky stuff. We talking about practical. When you talk about brothers like myself, what you call, you know, capital E, yeah, brothers like myself. First and foremost, be practical revolutionary. Meaning we ain't playing. This ain't a game to us. This is our life. The entirety of our life. And because this is the entirety of our, our life, we're not fighting a fight, we're fighting a win. So we understand there are certain prerequisites that you're talking about. Revolutionary social change and a fascist society like the 
United States of America. It's basic rudimentary stuff that you won't have to do. You won't have to build the basic structures for people to survive. And I'm talking about survive independently. It's just, you can't feed yourself, get it out your head, and away from it. Revolutionaries can't fight it, they can't If you can't educate your people to actually believe in what you're fighting for, there ain't no revolution without you. Get it out your head, that's what If you can't defend the very structures that you built to serve the people, they're going to be gone. And the revolution is going to be right back where it was, defunct, not existing. Mm-hmm. You're going to have these same, what you call, lost generations. I don't believe in generations where we lost. Those generations were intentionally deferred down areas of social expression, which don't lead to liberation. Absolutely. Absolutely. They actually aid in the system of their own oppression. I know I was. I did it myself. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't always joking. She was inside. It was a point in my development when I was killing kids me inside Pyro Blood. Yeah. I get that. I said that to say this. I understand that psychology. Right. I understand the motivations, both economic, social, and political behind that psychology. Absolutely. Like some of my comrades say, don't nobody know this problem better than we know. Right. Nobody. Because we lived it. That's why we want to hear from you. Absolutely. We lived it from both the reactionary perspective and from the revolutionary perspective. And as such, because that's the case, because that actually happened, we know what works and what don't work. We know what's effective and what's not effective. And if you're talking about changing how people think, there is no no greater teacher. One of the problems that we find amongst uh, uh, revolutionary formations is they talk a lot. Do a whole lot of music. People ain't trying to hear no talk. That's why so many of our youth up to this point in our development didn't want to listen. Do just talking to black stuff. That's what they say. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. Showing social practice that social cooperation, unity, makes you strong and actually provide for your needs more effectively than competition can. They will listen to you. They will listen to you because they have an interest to listen to you. Man, that works. If they see models of manhood and womanhood which are actively uh, uh, protective and, 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 and advancing life, man, they're going to they gonna want to emulate that as opposed to models of manhood and womanhood that emulate death. Don't nobody want to die. Don't nobody want to die. Right. <laughs> That's just the bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. Don't nobody want to live in abject poverty and squalor. No. Don't nobody want that. No, no. Yeah. It's one of the reasons. It's a, it's a, it's a tool. It's one of the, the, the greatest bases that this system has to trap our youth. They give you the illusion that you are raising yourself out of the poverty by engaging in a certain survival activity. Right, right. When all they're actually doing is opening the door for you to walk your ass right into a slave camp. Absolutely, yeah. So they can continue to pull literally millions of dollars a year off the other. Wrap your head around that. Mm. You are being intentionally orientated to engage in certain social activities which will expose you to slavery. They have structured your community to facilitate this process. It's called School to Poverty to Prison Pipeline. 
that will take you from the schoolhouse penitentiary quicker than the cut the bleed. And you won't even realize there's nothing wrong with it. You actively, they have orientated us so thoroughly. Fastest assimilation has been so successful that you got young brothers and sisters who actually don't fear it, actually look forward to it. Mm. Yeah. That's a contradiction. That is a contradiction. You know, I would love to inter- in, in, uh, just interject here because um, I do also want to... Um, I don't know, just put just, you know, some more point of light because uh, I, that is happening. And I think that there is some transformation that's happening. Uh, but before I say that, I also just want to say your autonomous infrastructure mission was just so ahead of its time. I want you to know that, um, you know, like I said, uh, those th- that that thinking about uh, being self-determined and being able to feed ourselves and clothe ourselves and house ourselves, those things are, are again, are, are being put into the forefront. Like, again, we've got Abbas Muntakim, uh, Jaleel Muntakim's nephew, who is running the People's Program out of Oakland. And it, it's so beautiful, right? We've got Jordan McGowan over at the Neighbor, uh, neighbor Programs. Same thing. He's got the uh, Shakur Center and the, the Malcolm X Academy. And, and literally, you know, they've got a garden now going. And um, they, yeah. they, the, the educational classes for the young. It, it's so beautiful. I just want you to know that this is happening. So, so in, in terms of the question you asked, asked me about our development, Many ways, uh, we talk about "quote unquote" elders. Our development mirrored George. When George first came to prison, George wasn't a revolutionary. Right. He had revolutionary potential. <laughs> George wasn't a revolutionary. If you read what George said, I met the black gorillas. Yes. Well known, James Carr, etc., etc., etc. They redeemed. It was then that I met Mao, Che, Guevara, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. What he meant by that is he met brothers who were already ideologically and politically advanced. They were basically the torchbearers of the movement. People need to understand it. Prison is merely a socially hostile microcosm society. So when we talk about revolutionary struggle, struggle don't stop us prison, okay? The same struggle that the African formations, the African revolutionary formations, Black Liberation Movement era, and on into the New African Independence Movement era, and to the present day, the same formations that were struggling on the, in the field were struggling in, in the camps to waste the exact same struggle against the exact same enemy. It's just a different front and the back. That's one of the primary reasons why I talk to me, you talk to what I do, we always got a smile on our face. Because I'm not doing nothing in here different than I would do on the street. This is one thing I always tell these young brothers. We get ready to go home. What you doing here? What you going to do when you get out there? Ain't going to be no different. Right, right, right. Now, in in the case of Comrade George's ideological political development, it was also during a time in the prison movement when the prison movement was at the forefront of the movement. It was at the it was at its growth, it was at its, at its point of, 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 of greatest influence over uh, uh, society. You got to realize, this is simultaneously when you had uh, uh, 
Black Liberation Movement was happening at the same time, anti-war movement was happening at the same time. You had literally had a service of revolutionary potential this world probably ain't seen for a very, very long time at that period of history. I'll say this again. Consciousness is directly proportional to oppression. What do you have going on in the world today? You have an unprecedented concentration of wealth in the hands of an unprecedented small number of people. You have an unprecedented large number of people suffering economically and socially. You have people feeling politically absolutely powerless. So you have perfect conditions for two things. Fascist reorganization of society or revolution. Them the two things that you now you saw what happened January 6th. Right. Yeah. We live in a we live in a center right. I ain't gonna say center right. We live in a fascist society. Yes. Ain't no other way to put that. Absolutely. Right? America is a fascist state, most advanced fascist state the world has ever known. That's where you live. Are we talking about a positive mobilization of African liberation ideology and social practice in that type of society? Talking about a darn task. Don't make don't get it twisted. But it's a task that everyone should be enthusiastic and energized and engaged in. Because what's on the other side of that is a good world. What's on the side of that is the type of society and world that we all want to live in. It's one where freedom. We speak of freedom, we're talking about independence. Justice. We talk about justice, we're talking about genuine equality and human rights. We're talking about human rights, we mean your basic needs in life, things to sustain life, are free to everybody. And constant. Not only when there is some crisis, understanding that we are in a crisis anyway, but like, for instance, if I can interject. So, um, flooding. There's now flooding and fires and, you know, because we are in an environmental crisis. They keep calling it, you know, the, the climate change has caused this. It's like no people have caused a climate crisis, right? It's amazing how they just deflect blame. Well, Comrade George was attempting to debate this this exact same thing, only from my perspective, it's a little bit more advanced. And I said that to say this. Some people hear me or other comrades say, you know, we're more advanced than George, and they'll be offended by it. Mm-hmm. Shit, it's George. Comrade George would roll over in his grave if we did not advance on what he already established. So, <laughs> I agree. Speak of I agree. The ideological, political, organizational, military, cultural advancement, revolution. Yeah, we way we like years past George. George didn't have to deal with drama. George didn't have to deal with the NSA that got access to every bit of information and every platform where information is being processed in this world. George didn't have to continue with a fraction of the talent intelligence program being advanced to the point that you have two states. You have the state that you all think exists. You have the state that actually exists. One where there's over 800 intelligence organizations operating in your country, United States of America, at any given time. You live in a police state, a real police state. Not affecting these states. And it's one to actively participate in. Absolutely. But I said all that to say this. What we do now, individually and collectively, going to determine our success. Like, it's just like planting a tree. 
this thing just like saying that tree, right? And you just leave. That tree is going to be subject to the ingrowth of weeds, um, how much the sunlight it gets, how much water, how much nutrients the soil has. The tree could easily be strangled off and die by just the environment it's in. Where if we plant a tree, we carefully cultivate Make sure we keep weeds away from it. Make sure it has good sunlight. We ensure it's irrigation. We ensure that we fertilize this soil that is growing in. That tree produces is going to be abundant. Right. Revolution is no different. If you just create a formation or some organization or somebody, you just throw it out there willy-nilly and let it do what it's going to do. You live in a fascist state. It's going to kill that. That ain't going to survive. But careful and consistent. Focused and determined. If you take that organization and look upon it, you look upon your own life. You look upon structures that you build the same way you look upon your children. And you will sacrifice them. And, and take the time to nurture them. Development. Make sure the people really understand it. And you learn from the people. You learn from the people what they need. And you meet those needs on the most basic level, as practically as you can, where they can be sustainable. And you don't end up doing more damage than good because you hurting the planet. If you can do that, I guarantee you, people's attitudes will change because you can change their condition. People's attitudes are a reflection of their condition. If we really understood that on a functional level, then what George built, what we have built upon, and what your generations, all of y'all young brothers and sisters that's listening to us now, will build in the future on top of what we build in our lifetime, will ensure that ultimately we have the type of society, the world that we want to live in. It's one where that one percent of people I was talking about, people that actually structure society. When you actively participate in your own oppression, they ain't going to be in power. You're going to be in power. And that's what revolution is. Revolution is really the bottom line about what type of society you want to live in and the governing ideology of that society. Right now, we live in a society that's governed by fascist capitalists. Pure point plain and simple. They about their money. Absolutely. They about power. They about control. They about ensuring that they get their money, maintain their power, and exert the absolute control that they can on your society with your willing acceptance and assistance. That's what I mean by the United States of America the most advanced fascist state in the world. Because they can give you the illusion of freedom and dignity and still control. And one of the things that Comrade said was if you just look at the people on the bus sitting next to Look at them. I mean, really look at them. They carry their worries on their face. Yeah. The, 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 at one point, this person probably could have been a great artist or engineer or, or a great orator or somebody that actually could take our youth to new heights of, of, of social expression. But they live in a culture that beat them down so bad, they just submit the idea. I hear people say all the time, man, it's just how it is. No. No. <laughs> it's just how it is because you're allowing it to be that. Right. 
Right. With- what me and men of like mind are saying is, you are your own liberators. That's what George was saying. That's what Jonathan went to God. Right. You your own liberators. That's what the comrade Katari taught us. That's what W.L. Nolan laid the foundation for. That is the be-all, end-all social life of men and women such as myself. You your own liberator. Absolutely. Nobody's going to come save us. All right. If you are just joining us, this is Prison Focus Radio here on KPOO.com, and I am your host, Nube Brown. We are going to take a quick musical break, but we have been in conversation with Joka Hishima Jinsai, who is talking about the indictment of the state and its prison industrial slave complex, uh, a new booklet that has been published by Amazon. So go to Amazon.com and pick that up, please. It's an amazing uh, piece of work. And uh, we are going to get back to it when um, we come back after the musical break. And it right now, also, we are talking through the lens of Black August, and um, it's 365-day-a-year practice.
Exactly. Like, th- and things define you, not, it's, it, it's what you have, not who, who you are. I don't think people really understand. And that's really sad. <laughs> I, I, and, and when I say, when I use the word fascism, I don't really don't think people really grasp what we mean when we say fascism. When George, George said it, or 40 years ago, said fascism is here now. I don't think people understood what he was saying. Fascism is not something that's imposed on you. It's not some pe- it's not some jack booty thugs keeping your dome in, burning your books. That's not fascism. Fascism is something that's supported by the people. Yes. It is a mass psychology. It is accepting your oppression, not merely as a way of life, but you are actively participating in this continuation. That's fascism. Was somebody who structure your society in such a way? You help them oppress you. You help them to keep you in poverty. You help them. You're helping them. And the way you help them most of all is you doing nothing to resist. Black Office Memorial is a cultural celebration of resistance. It's saying, I don't want to live like this. I don't think competing with one another it's more effective than cooperating. Right. I don't believe that. I think you're lying to me. And then you take the next logical step, thinking it, actively proving it. That means black office resistance. That means going down in your community, ensuring that you control your food sources. That you control how you live, where you live. That you control your water. That you're able to develop the technology that you need to sustain life in a technologically advanced culture like the United States of America, that your people's lives are not threatened merely because they happen to be born with this skin tone. You can defend yourself. That's right. It's, you have people actually trying to teach you that that's wrong. Exactly. They reduce your history to a theory. Oh my God! Yeah, that's when really I, incredible. When I first heard that <laughs> word, I've not been able to get over that seat. Critical race theory, as though my historical experience over the course of four hundred years of systematic oppression is theoretical. Mm. This is not a theory. 
the historical materialist reality of our lives is not a theory. That's our history. That's incredible. And I didn't think to question that until you said that. That's why I realized, like, again, like, I want this education. And so I think to myself, my God, you know, yeah, we, like you said, nurturing that, that seed, nurturing that tree um, into existence. Because when you said that the first time, when you said that they, they um, you know, broke down and made your experience into a theory, I was like, oh, my God, that's exactly what I didn't I didn't see that until you mentioned until you said it. <laughs> if you took any other people, Jeez. let's just say for the sake of saying Jewish people. All right. Let's say for the sake of saying you had a group of people. Well, first of all, they was on the oppression. They was on the oppression side of your historical experience. Tell you. The Holocaust theory will not be taught in our schools. <laughs> right. Right. They would have recognized no it. Between our experience in the United States of America, the Jewish people's experience under Adolf Hitler, there ain't no difference. The only difference is the flag that was waving above our heads when it was done. Absolutely. And the duration in which we suffered that oppression. Absolutely. For you to tell me I can't teach my children what the hell happened to me and my people with a bunch of head? To reduce my historical experience to a theory for any other people would be tantamount to a declaration of war. I love that. And Absolutely. What do we do? What have we done? When, you, when I talked to y'all earlier about philosophical points on the dialectical materialism, dialectical materialism got four laws. Very first of all, dialectical materialism is unity and struggle of opposites. That means all matter and energy in the universe moves predicated upon positive and negative forces work, working against each other. I don't care if it's a proton, an electron, and an atom. I don't care if it's the atomic strong force, the atomic weak force, moving gravity to make your world spin around the sun, or you got a bunch of racists trying to tell a bunch of people that's oppressed that they ain't oppressed. Unity and struggle are opposites. The next one is the transformation of quantity and quality. Here's where things get a little bit more interesting. When a people, such as African people, have been subjected to a quantity of oppression over the course of centuries, where they finally say to themselves, man, you know what? I'm tired of this dude hitting me with this whip. And take that whip from them and hit them back. That is the quantity, the amount of oppression that you're being subjected to, making a qualitative transformation how you think. I'm tired. I ain't going to bend over and take no more whippings. I'm going to get you out the whippings and they go on out, Jack. A quantitative transformation in how you think that quantity has been transformed, transformed into a new quality. I'll give you a perfect another example of one that everybody really understands, really, real easy to understand. I can take liquid water. Quality of that water is liquid. And I can decrease the amount of heat in that water by putting it in the freezer. And that can transform the quality of that water from a liquid to solid ice. I can take that same water and I can put it in a saucepan. And I can increase the amount of heat in that water and transform its quality from a liquid to a gas, steam. Human beings are no different. 
I can introduce a quality of knowledge to your mind to where you will make a qualitative transformation in the person that you are and how you relate to the rest of your world. That's quality into quality. The next one is transformation uh, is the negation of negation, the evolution of contradiction. I'm going to use myself as an example. There was a point in my life when I actually wasn't nearly as revolutionary as I am today. All right? I underwent a qualitative transformation in how I think and how I relate to my world. They created a whole new contradiction because it wasn't no longer about me trying to fight to survive. Now I'm fighting against a system that's actively oppressing my people. Whole different contradiction. It's a whole new level of, of, of struggle on that. Now I'm not just struggling for my basic necessities or me, 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 me. It ain't about me no more. I gave my life away when I made that evolutionary transformation to serve the other people. My life, I don't live for me no more. I live for the people. Now, it's a new contradiction. I got somebody else on the other side of that chessboard. Before I was on the side of that chessboard was my needs. You want to know what's on the other side of that chessboard now? The capitalist class. The U.S. government. The system of white supremacy. That's on the other side of that chessboard. It's an evolution in the contradiction. So when you change, understand something. When you're going to be facing on the other side of that board, it's going to change. Because going back to the first law, unity and struggle are opposites. There's going to be a force of opposition to how you are trying to express yourself in this world. If you are trying to create a world where you are free, if you're trying to create a world where justice, what we mean by justice is, I want to define this word so all of y'all can understand, law don't equate to justice. Mm -hmm. Justice, as we define the word, is the upholding of human rights transferred to a common power apex through the mutual agreement of two people or two groups of people. There was no mutual agreement on what would constitute law when black people in America were suddenly emancipated. We were just subjected to whatever they said the law was and it's been that way ever since. That was a unilateral process. It wasn't a mutual agreement. And in order for there to be to, to have been a mutual agreement between two groups of people, there would have to be some notion of equality. We ain't never been equal in this society. Mm-hmm. It was once upon a time in this society when we weren't even people who we were property. No different than a mule or a plow. How are they going to in turn claim justice applies to black people in America? New Africans ain't never had justice in society. We never will. Until such time there's a revolutionary transformation in society. So going back to the final law, and it's the reason why I began these four laws, final interpretation of all analysis must be materialistic. Meaning you got to taste it, touch it, and feel it, but Real. The reality of the situation is currently the revolution got a whole lot of work to do. That's the reality of the situation. Right. The reason why this sister Bay, myself, that is discussion with you right now is so we can advance that process along just a little. Just a little. Just a little, yeah. If I can convince you to at minimum question the lies that you have been fed for the entire duration of your life. That's a revolutionary act. Because it's going to introduce new knowledge to you. Transformation quality and quality. That new knowledge ultimately is going to change how you see your world. Negation and negation. 
and what you build in your world is going to be something new. Not really that. Final interpretation. That's going to lead us right back to the union struggle opposites. Because now you got a whole new contradiction. So what are we doing right now? We're waging revolution. Indeed we are. And I want to thank Hashima for another incredible episode. I would like to also give a few minutes uh, to my comrade inside, Emolimo Shakur, uh, talking about what is going on inside Corcoran State Prison with Black August. And then we're going to finish up with Pearls by Sade, another uh, recommendation by Joka Hashima Jensai. And then that will be our show for the week. And we'll see you next time. All power to the people. Emolema um, Shakur, please just go ahead and tell us what's happening inside, what y'all are doing uh, for Black August. Um, also, I mean, y'all do this on a continuum, but what are you doing specifically right now and how is it playing out inside Corcoran? Well, right now, you know, there's a lot of study groups going, you know, and group exercises when they can, if they have a day room group or something, because we're not really getting yard due to, uh, you know, a shortage of staff or what have you. But, you know, the material that we study is really relevant to our growth and our development. And with always young people coming into the institution, you always want to welcome them. You know, um, we weren't able to, to pass a, a program around to all buildings. But in every building, there's a few elders who are knowledgeable um, and they know what to do. And they teach on the importance of, you know, the certain days, uh, why we established this, uh, who did it. What, uh, you know, and, and what it's all about. So they have a full, complete understanding, and it will be something that they can take to the streets. So right now, there's a, you got a, a few study groups going in some of the buildings. Um, we had George last night, and I seen a few brothers out there. We was uh, exercised for a little bit, and then there was a couple of uh, dialogues about the importance of studying your history. And uh, a brother was talking about the speech that Kwame Nkrumah had gave in Africa back in 1963, um, when you had like Hale Selassie as an imperialist uh, uh, governor over there, and how Africans and certain blacks were allowing themselves to be compromised by the European way of doing things. Trying to show uh, these young brothers what's going on in today's society, why the 1% class is in control, how they got that control, and how they're maintaining it. You know, so that's what's going on right now.
Pulls for her little girl. 